Buca, pallone appoggiato per Koffmeiners che prova il sinistro! Koffmeiners 1-1! Hello and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is season 2, episode 20 and we're your hosts Matt and Jake. As you guys heard, our goal of the week was Koffmeiners' long-range strike last weekend against Bologna, which ended up leading them to a 2-1 victory. That was the equaliser. What did you make of that goal, brother? It was purely orgasmic, my brother. Orgasmic. What a strike by Cook Miners. I love the player, and apparently Liverpool are all over him, but um, Atalanta have issued a warning, mm. saying that they, um, unless an offer of 40 million arrives, they're not interested, they're not listening. I, think, I like I like when Atalanta play hardball. Yeah, and I think 40 million is a, is a good, and actually quite a generous price tag for Cook Miners, who... Yeah. Is a very incredibly versatile player and he's proven to be very dangerous anywhere around the box as well. So Yeah, that would be a coup for Liverpool. Literally, as it is a coup for Atalanta. So Serie A spotlight slips. Serie A spotlight slips, yes. Would you care to let the listeners know what our bet was this week? So uh, Matthew named this bet. He gave it a title. Remember mm. what you what you called it when we when I ah, recommended it to a, you? A pure Brexit bet. <laughs> pure Brexit bet, or the original term used was a pussy bet. Yeah. <laughs> and a catenaccio bet. Exactly, catenaccio well. bet, yeah. Um, it was Spezia Lecce, over zero goals, and drawer Lecce. Now, there was, there was always going to be the risk of a biscotto taking yeah. place, you know, where, yeah. where two teams who are low on the table, relegation candidates, settle for a draw, a point each, and they'll gladly take it. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought that might be the case, um, but I thought it would be like 1-1, you know, hence the draw or Lecce. I yeah. tried to play it a bit safe. I thought there would be a goal this game, especially with the strikers on show. There was in Zola, Colombo, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of talent on these teams. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the game started and the players walked out and I caught sight of the rain and I was like, we're fucked. <laughs> we're fucked. It's raining as no one's scoring today. Like, And yeah. that, that was a theme, this, this match. The terrible weather actually affected the football quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, the thing about that game is the reason I thought there were going to be goals was because either team would think, okay, this is a game where we can get three points. So either team would would gladly go for it. That's the thought process I had. And I also thought that with um, Inzola performing so well recently and Colombo performing so well recently and other players in both teams performing so well recently that they'd be keen to show off their skills. But the rain did prove to be a bit too much for both of them. Remember to follow us, guys, to keep up with our terrible bets at, say, uh, Spotlight on Instagram. We also have a TikTok account where we can um, post anything we'd like because copyright does not exist. Um, <laughs> Thank you, China. We also have a Twitter where you can interact with us. Um, please send us your thoughts, your opinions, your suggestions, your questions, anything you'd like to be discussed on the podcast. Definitely. This match day was full of tight encounters, so to say, a lot of one nils, a lot of draws across the board. Um, it started off with Milan drawing to Roma after having um, dominated 85 minutes of the game, but they ended up drawing that 2-2. 
followed by Juve scraping past Udinese, one goal to nil. Sampdoria nil, Napoli two. So it was last against first. Well, Sampdoria not really last anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Monza two, Inter two, one of the more exciting matches this match day. Um, Lazio two, Empoli two was another one. Bologna one, Atalanta two, big, big win for Atalanta considering how they've been performing. Fiorentina two, Sassuolo one. Salernitana one, Torino one, a very even affair over there. Verona 2, Cremonese nil. Things looking a bit better for Verona since the restart, particularly a certain gentleman named Lazovic. And lastly, Spezia nil, Lecce nil. Yeah, good. An interesting game week. It was very good, very exciting. Lots of late drama, three last-minute equalizers. So plenty to talk about over here. Let's get started with Milan 2. Roma 2. Or can we skip this one? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Good suggestion, but um, let's no. get into it. I, I want to know how you feel about this game, bro. Okay. Okay. Let's let's get into the lineups and we'll talk. So Milan played the usual 4-2-3-1 formation, despite purely saying that, ah, formations, they don't matter. <laughs> it's about putting players out there. <laughs> you know, interesting words by purely. That's... Mm-hmm. A rough quote, but yeah. he actually did say something to that effect. It's about form, it's about teamwork, it's about which players you deploy. He's yeah. like four two three one, four three three. He's like it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. He's a very good speaker, purely. So mm-hmm. that must have gotten a bit fucked with translation, I yeah. would say. Could be. <laughs> Tatarzan was in goal. Theo Hernandez on the left, Calabria on the right, with the centre back duo of Tomori and Kalulu. The double pivot of Tonali and Benasser with Leao out wide, Salamakers on the right, Brahim Diaz in the trequartista position, and Giroud up front. Roma played their four, no, their three, four, two, one formation, sorry, with Rui Patricio on goal, centre-back trio of Roger Ibanez, Chris Smalling and Roberto, Man- not Roberto Mancini, rather, um, Gianluca Mancini. Roberto Mancini <laughs> is the um, guy who failed to qualify Italy for the um, World Cup. Yeah, and the but, guy that won the Euros with exactly. Italy as well. Yeah, but v- Ventura was uh, crucified. Mancini is viewed as a hero. Fair enough. Celik was on the right, Zalewski was on the left, Pellegrini and Cristante were in the middle, Abraham was playing up front with Zaniol and Dybala playing off his shoulder. Yeah. So it all kicked off to a feisty start with two yellow cards in the first 26 minutes and then eventually it was the 30th minute where Milan scored through a flying header by Pierre Calulo off a corner of Tonali. When was the last time Milan scored a corner? Ages, man. Can't even remember it. Ages. Yeah. I think it's Milan's first headed goal this season. Oh, could be. <laughs> could be, actually. I can't recall another one. I think... I think that's an actual stat. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Milan's first headed goal this and season. And say, yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, it took until the 77th minute for substitute Tommaso Pobega to score the second goal through... It was a good run by him, Giroud. Ran sideways, pulling Chris Smalling away, allowing an opening for Leao to play the ball to Pabega, who finished it off cleanly. And at this point, you know, it seemed to be all done and dusted. There, were a few, there was a tactical change by Pioli. You know, a few players came, came in, De Ketalare, Gabbia. Uh, the formation looked to change. And then all of a sudden, two set pieces for Roma resulted in two quick goals. In the 87th minute, it was a corner by Lorenzo Pellegrini. Ibanez with the header scores. In the 92nd minute, Vranks gave away a free kick, which was whipped in by Pellegrini and headed into Tatarsanu by Matic. And it was Tammy Abraham who managed to score on the rebound. And the game ended shortly after that. Milan 2, Roma 2. Thoughts, bro? 
So very disappointing finish for Milan. Milan, um, th- there's always been this criticism about Milan when it comes to killing games. Um, Milan dominated 85 minutes of play easily. Milan were yeah. much the better team and they never looked in danger throughout the entire first 85 minutes, essentially. Um, and then there was a goal conceded from a corner, which I'd like to say that happens. But when Milan have struggled so much in that department and Milan were made a mockery against Chelsea for oh, the yes. way they defend set pieces, I'd like to think that it would be brushed up for the Roma game in particular because Roma are so good at set plays and Milan struggle at defending set plays. So that was always going to be something that was going to threaten Milan and I'd hope Milan had, would have had something prepared for that. With that being said, I also believe that the substitutions that Milan make when they're winning a game and winning a game comfortably tends to be bringing on young players. So bringing on the Catalara, bringing on Vranks, bringing on Gabbia, so on and so forth, bringing on Pobega. And although it's good to give these guys minutes, sometimes in a game against Roma, that you know, always have something to their arsenal. It'd be good to have some players with experience that you can bring on that won't give away silly free kicks on the edge of the area when Milan are struggling at that point. Yes, um, that's a very good point. Um, Milan's project right now, as, as it stands, is to buy young, to develop, to sell for a profit, or to um, eventually have starters mm-hmm. in the future, right? Like, for example, you look at Leao, you look at Tonali, you look at Kalulu. These were all examples yeah. of that. Theo Hernandez as well. It's proven to be successful, but at the same time, you're absolutely right. I think Milan need to keep an eye on the market and to bring in a few low-cost bargains or a few yeah. um, free agents, you know, that are of a certain age, that have a certain amount of experience, preferably Serie A experience, mm-hmm. so that you can bring them on and kill off the game. Krunic would have been perfect. Um, I think he's a player that Milan are really missing. Yeah, to, to bring him on in the CDM role when you need to defend a victory... I think he would have been perfect over there. Now, Franks has looked good, but his inexperience really showed in that area. And on that yeah. point, even players like Dest, these are all really, really young guys. And sometimes, even though squad rotation is good, I think it's, in, in certain areas, I think some of the substitutions were, hey, let's give him a run out. Yeah. And that's not good enough when you're playing Roma. When Franks gave away the free kick, Roma had just brought on Bellotti. Mm. Alongside Abraham, they had Smalling and the Bunyas. They had um, Matic in there. They had all these giants. They're a team, they're a Mourinho team who score set pieces every single week. Why the hell would you force a foul in the dying moments of the game when you're down by a goal against this Roma side? You've just conceded a set piece. I don't get it. And and we know Roma would be playing for the fouls to get free kicks at that point. So it was clearly an experience Mm -hmm. that got the better of him over there, along with some street smartness by the player who won the foul. Pellegrini with the way he whipped the ball in, Matic getting Mm -hmm. there. It's also a a, a debate about this whole zonal marking thing that Milan do. I don't want to get too kind of like technical and, and stuff like that. But... Sometimes you just need to go man for man, block the spaces and just uh, try to cunt the ball away as far as possible, man. Yeah, literally, bro. Um, I, I don't understand how you have CDK kind of, you know, kind of marking mm. the jumper on the first goal. You know, like, like how does that make any sense? No, and, and it, it has to be said that CDK 
marked Matic terribly yeah. and didn't even try to win the header over there. So some criticism needs to go to CDK as well. Yeah. But for the first 85 minutes, Milan had 61% ball possession. They had 12 shots, five of them on target. They had six off target. They had one blocked. They had 28 successful tackles to Roma's 12. They were really, really dominating the game. Milan's football was fluid. It mm-hmm. was calm. At no point did we see that urgency over urgency by Milan trying to go forward. They controlled the game really well. Roma looked really weak, in my opinion, throughout the game. From open play, they were bad, in my opinion. But they were patient, man. They were patient and they chose their moments. Yes, and this is an interesting stat, for example. Um, 16 teams covered more ground than Milan and Roma. Only Sampdoria and Sassuolo covered less. And that wow. just goes to show Roma just sat back. They didn't press whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And they allowed Milan to play kind of a, not lackadaisical game, but like it wasn't a high intensity game by any means, you know? No. And Milan totally controlled it. Roma allowed it to happen. And then eventually mm-hmm. at the end, they did yeah. they did Roma things, right? Exactly. Um, just another stat to show how poor Roma were. Only Sampdoria had less ball possession than Roma. <laughs> um, Roma had the ball for a total of 20 minutes this game. My 20 God. Mi- out of 90 minutes, 20 minutes they were on the ball. Okay, um, Sampdoria were slightly worse. They had the ball for 19 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and they were against Napoli. That was one before the last against first. Like This was Milan-Roma. An interesting thing to note about uh, Milan's left side, you know, everyone praises Milan's left side. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the top three highest speeds clocked this match day, first was Theo Hernandez with 35.33 kilometers per hour. And third was Leo with 33.98 kilometers an hour. Jesus. Uh, Radonjic sits between them. Celik yeah. <laughs> so was in absolute hell. He was in hell. He was, <laughs> and he looked at a point, I thought he was going to get sent off when he dropped uh, mm-hmm. he dropped Leo, but I, I don't think Leo committed to, to the drop hard enough yeah. to get him sent off, quite frankly. Um, El Sharawi entered the game quite well. He was one of the four players to complete three dribbles, the best of match day 17. He was quite inspiring when he came on. I mm-hmm. feel like that... Um, Contributed to Roma's victory, of course. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Milan currently sit in third with 37 points, while Roma sit in seventh with 31 points. But before we move on, guys, I'm handing over to a good friend of ours, Cesco, who's also a Roma fan, and you've heard him on this podcast before. He's joined by another Roma fan, Mattia, um, and together they discuss the Milan-Roma game and their beliefs on Roma's season so far. Salam alaikum, uh, Milanisti. Um, I'm joined here with my friend Mattia after Milan Roma. And uh, to be honest, you have a lot to hear from us because we expected Roma to arrange a bit of their playing style after the pausa. But this is not the case. Mattia, what do you think about um, uh, Patricio, first of all? Uh, I don't have Passatore, no? <laughs> I don't have no more words for him honestly because uh, as I said before to Cesco uh, we don't have anymore even a second keeper to keep yeah, on. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Zvillar is even worse. Zvillar is much exactly. worse. And it's sad when you're coming from uh, Alisson and Chesney in the same team to Olsen, Paul Lopez, Mirante. 
mind you, Mirante could potentially have a scudetto. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny. So I have the memories, uh, yeah. like for Allison, Chesney. Yeah, we had a fucking right. good keepers, yeah, and yeah, now yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a shit, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is. And what do you think about Massa, man? Massa. Every time Massa like ref- referees our yeah. games, something has to happen. Now I'm not saying yesterday he he gave any Milan any advantage, no, but, but he ruined the game yesterday, like. Yeah. For you, every time for yeah. Milan, it has nothing, honestly. Yeah, so. Tonali has to miss the next game, and so does Ibanez. And uh, it's extra, he was killing off momentum. And it's frustrating when you're trying to build up some play, and he kills off the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, we had three shots on target, I believe. You guys, five shots on target. So you guys did not play Granke, per se, but uh, we were horrible. Yeah. At least in the first half, you could say we were horrible, yes, but at least we killed off your your game plan. But man, until that 75th minute, I was prepared to leave yesterday, Mattia. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, only the I did last... not realize we scored the no, first goal. No, because the only the last like ten minutes of the game we start playing and uh, was before was a shit. But for me, even like Pioli, it's something wrong yesterday because even the changing uh, a bit strange. Yeah, Pogba. And, uh, yeah, Pogba. He scored, but because uh, um, it was a good counter attack, yeah, not because exactly. Pog- Pogba yeah, is magnifico. <laughs> yeah, of course, then one can score against us. Um, I believe I told Matti earlier if we get Fratesi, he will solve sixty percent of our problems because our problem is our central campo. Yeah. He cannot play with Cristante and uh-huh. Pellegrini. Not because he was the problem. I really, really, really rate. Pellegrini but he can't give him everything to do the distribution the defending the passing the d- everything yeah. he, can't, he can't he can't I believe as well our formation is a big fucking problem yeah and um, we have even to change like our like our playing no yeah because playing we cannot side. play anymore with the defense three yes uh, we are it not takes like... off one extra midfielder yeah, I mean exactly. no wonder we're playing like this when you take off a midfielder and put a center back it's kind of logic why we're playing like this but um, yeah I think we should move to the 4-3-3 or 4-2 yeah. no four, sorry 4-3-2-1 four, sorry yeah and another thing, I don't know why Mourinho had to fight with Karsdorp just to play yeah. Selic. If he knew Selic was going to play, I would at least find a good replacement because I can't bother watching Selic anymore, bro. Exactly. I cannot watch Selic yeah. play anymore. I, I watch in Panta Calcio. It reminds me a bit of uh, Piris. I don't know if you... Piris, Madonna, Pipa. And Cristante, another guy. He... Stop. He do, he's good at taking the ball, okay, fair, and shooting. What yeah. does he do? He tries to <laughs> the dribble. Opposite he can tries do. to dribble <laughs> and track back on players. This is what I mean. This is why we're we're suffering so much in the midfield. He cannot yeah. play like this. And it was even worse when you used to have Matej Cristante together. And uh, I think now it's a good thing that Ibanez got squalificato. Okay. Unless he plays Kumbula instead. <laughs> no, no, no. But Dybala was back. And at least when we played Dybala, we don't lose. Yeah. Dybala... And we scored even a bit more with Dybala. Yeah. It, it's ironically, we scored two against Milan, but you can't score more than one against Bologna and exactly. other teams. Uh, Tammy, Tammy, last two games, it's like he scored two for me because he saved us yeah. in the last minute. I was there at the Olimpico. And when four I saw points, he saved us. Yeah, he saved us four <laughs> points. I saw him jump and save that corner. I saw the ball going in. I was like, 
I, I nearly fainted on the on the, on the seat. <laughs> Zaniolo, Zaniolo. I'm a big big lover of Zaniolo. I saw that guy um, uh, come through the ranks like his first game in the Bernabeu. I'm biased for Zaniolo. If it was up to me, I could play him every game. But it's like a hopeless case for him lately. It's either he's the problem or the players around him are the problem. Because he's he runs, he dribbles, he does everything. But either he does the last the last step wrong. Yeah, sometimes uh, for me, he wants to do like something too much. But the problem is also that there are there aren't player like with him like playing, try to do something. Sometimes he he's alone and uh, he doesn't go forward no no yes and it has like the last the last uh the last decision <laughs> decisions wrong if you, if you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. where he has to shoot he passes it's like bipolar i still believe in zaniolo but uh, yeah, we have to change we have to change some things is there anyone else we have to mention from from the team mm, for me mm. we can stop like this because like the the game the game of Roma so you know yeah <laughs> we could keep on going on and on and on and on and on and um, yeah that's it we're looking forward to do better but we're looking yeah we're looking much no sorry we're looking forward to play Fiorentina and hopefully not lose exactly. uh, but that's it technically we're only six points under Juventus so. It's not all that bad. It's not all that bad. No, no. But we can't keep on playing like this because us fans are suffering yeah. and uh, it shows on the table how shit we are. Yeah. Insomma, thank you guys. Um, looking forward to hearing our sexy voices again. <laughs> See you soon. Ciao. Thank you guys. Forza Roma, Forza sempre. Roma sempre. The next game we're going to be covering is Juve 1, Udinese nil. Juve started off in a 3-5-1-1 formation with Szczesny in goal and the back line of Sandro, Rugani and Danilo. They had Kostic on the left, they had McKenny on the right and the midfield three of Miretti, Locatelli and Rabio, with Di Maria in the Trequartista role and Moise Keane just ahead of him. Udinese started in a 3-5-2 formation with Silvestri in goal, a backline of Becao, Bijol and Newen Perez. They had Pereira out on the right and Udoji out on the left. In the midfield three of Sandy Lovridge, Wallace and Makengo, they had Success and Beto up front. Now, the only goal of the game came in the 86th minute through Danilo. It was a Paredes long ball which was controlled and volleyed beautifully by Chiesa and onto a silver platter for Danilo to tap the ball into the back of the net. Now, we always talk about game changers. This is very prevalent for Juve at the moment. So in the last match day, they had Kostic from a free kick. In this match day, they had that moment of brilliance over there by Chiesa to put the ball on a plate for Danilo to tap the ball into the back of the net. And it's another 1-0 victory for Juve, putting them in second level on points with Milan, but obviously yeah. only conceding seven goals this season. They're, they're currently ranked above Milan. Um, yes, that was, a first of all, a fantastic play um, by Juve. Mm-hmm. You you look at them all game, they they had been knocking against Sudanese and their offensive play, their manoeuvres were better this game than they have been recently. Agreed. Uh, but this was a master stroke. First of all, that long ball by Paredes was Beautiful. gorgeous to Chiesa. Chiesa, amazing awareness to, to square it, something, for example, Orsolini 
against Atalanta. He was in the exact posi- same position with his head and he went for a goal. Granted, yeah. he just scored. <laughs> but a great awareness by Chiesa to square it to Danilo and the captain fantastic over there just <laughs> scoring um, the winner. Uh, but I think, man, the, the main thing to highlight about Juve is how fucking solid they are in defense and how patient they are um, and how they don't give up. They leave it too late, but they get the job done. And another super professional performance by them against the tough side, to be honest. Yeah, it doesn't look like Juve are capable of losing a game at the moment with the way that they're (laughs) performing. Not because they're performing so obviously well, but it's just the way that they're carrying themselves in the game. We know that 1-0, only winning 1-0 and in the last 10 minutes of the game, pretty much always isn't exactly sustainable. It results in injuries, it results in fatigue, so on and so forth. It results in a lot of... Stress lines for for fans or a late equalizer <laughs> or, or, or a late equalizer as well. But it if you don't concede, you're not gonna lose. That's it, and that is exactly what you are doing this season, and it's exactly what Milan did last season. You remember those one nils in a row, another clean sheet when yeah. Tomori said uh, that. another clean sheet one zero. <laughs> that was amazing, and yeah. it's the same thing for Juve this year. They are solid as hell defensively. It's true, and um, they they gave you they gave Udinese a tough time over here. You know they had fourteen shots, four of them were on target, seven were off target, three were blocked. This compared to Udinese's eleven shots, three of them were on target. So to be honest, you look at the stats; it's a pretty even affair. But you just have that certain street smart to them, yeah. you know that that experience, that allegri satanism that gets them <laughs> over the line. <laughs> exactly, and Udinese haven't been their best. Um, but they put in a decent performance over here. They were simply outplayed by Juve. And shout out to Silvestri, who had a couple of fantastic saves in this game. Um, and shout out to Di Maria. Having him on the pitch and having him down the middle as well really showcases his creativity and his dribbling in tight spaces. His close mm-hmm. ball control is unbelievable. He could take four turns with two touches when he's on the ball. He's absolutely magnificent. I was seeing a couple yeah. of highlights of him from this game and wow, what a player to have on your team. He's amazing. Di Maria is one of my personal favorite players. Um, and that's the thing with Juve. You know, I, I feel like they are coached heavily in the defensive side. Like I'm sure Allegri's tactics are all about defense, defense, defense. Then when it comes to bombing forward, it's all about individual brilliance. Yeah. You have Kostic, you have Di Maria, you have Chiesa, you know, you've got uh, Rabio who has his moments as well. Mm. These mm. are the guys that have been winning the games for Juve. Exactly. And they're still and missing. Milik as well with the free kick. Yeah. And they're still missing Dusan Vlaovic. They're still missing Pogba. They're missing a bunch of players. But uh, a consistent attacking outlet for them has proven to be Kostic, who even got four crosses and um, the highest this match day. What an attacking outlet that guy is down the left, man. Yeah, um, he's incredible. Honestly, what a what a signing by them. Um, funnily enough, it was Loverich who was second with the most crosses whipped in. He whipped in three. So this game yeah. had the, the two best crossers of the match day, both ending in itch. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that this was a tight affair. And just to showcase that, Juve had 50.5% ball possession to Udinese's 49.5% percent bolt possession we dominated (laughs) I don't think Juve's game is about domination but I think it's about you know just the ability to kill off games Mm -hmm. it's almost like they spend the entire game just wearing out their opponents and testing the waters and then they just have a moment of brilliance towards the end that that gets them over the line essentially 
That brings Juve up to second. They're on 37 points. Like I said earlier, level with Milan, um, with Napoli ahead of them on 44 points. So quick maths, that is seven points ahead of Juve and Milan. On the other hand, um, Udinese are in eighth place still on 25 points. They are now six points behind Roma and two points ahead of Fiorentina and Torino. Fantastic. The next game we're going to be covering is Sampdoria nil Napoli 2. Um, Sampdoria played a 3-4-1-2 formation with Audero in goal, Murru, Nuitink and Murillo at the back, Augello on the left, Leris on the right, Vieira and Rincon as a midfield double pivot with Vera in front of them and Lammers and Gabbiadini as the two trees up front. Um, Napoli deployed the usual 4-3-3 formation with Meret in goal, Di Lorenzo on the right, Mario Rui on the left, Juan Jesus and Ming Jaikin formed the centre-back partnership. Elmas, Lobotka and Anguissa were in the middle with Politano out on the right, Kvaratskele on the left and Ozimen up front, the formidable Victor Ozimen. In the opening moments of the game, Sampdoria gave away a penalty, Politano stepped up to take it and Odero got a good hand on his low and hard shot which then hit the post. Sampdoria were clearly inspired after this. Um, Vera took a shot from outside that threatened the goal. Nuiting had a big miss on a header from a corner. But eventually, Mr. Inevitable Victor Ozyman in the 19th minute managed to score. Um, it was an early cross in the near post by Mario Rui. It was met by Ozyman on the half volley and it hit the back of the net. In the 38th minute, Thomas Rincon did Thomas Rincon things where he had uh, mis- <laughs> mistimed the sliding tackle uh, into a full speed Aussie man. And it turned out to be the last man. It was at an awkward angle, so it didn't quite yeah. look to be a red at first. But then you realize, you know, it's the denial of a goal scoring opportunity, a clear goal scoring opportunity. Boom. Red card. That's mm-hmm. what you get of a player with the experience of Thomas Rincon. Rincon, yeah. you know, a CV like that. Age on his side and age against him, rather on his side, as when it comes to the experience. Yeah, and he fucks the game for some player because there was no coming back. Ten men against Napoli, you exactly. exactly. No, and in fact, it was the eighty-second minute where um, VAR awarded the penalty to Napoli and Elmas converted, going the opposite direction and high into the top corner this time. Yeah. yeah. What do you make of this game, bro? So, I mean, I don't think there is much to make of it. Um, I think Sampdoria still looked good in the opening moments of the match. They looked much better than they were before. They defended better. I think Nuitink is such an asset over there. They went forward better. I think Lammers has been such an asset over there. And everything is just working a bit more fluidly than it was before for Sampdoria. They're retaking their shape a bit faster than they were. I think that was because they were very wary of the Napoli side that they were facing. But all it takes is a stupid red card by one of your teammates in this case it was Thomas Rincon and then after that if you get a red card in the 38th minute against Napoli there's no way you're walking out with anything out of that match and Napoli managed to you know get away with three points and kill the game off in the 82nd minute yeah and that's it um, I, I was kind of disappointed at the at the red card man because I, I thought that some player were going to give them a good second mm-hmm. half um, again, they, they attacked really well And I feel like Nuitink really brought them defensive stability Yeah Lammers, I'm not too keen on um, He's more involved here Than yeah. he was at Empoli But I don't know, he seems a bit rusty for now We'll have to wait for the, the rust to settle, I guess Wait for him to get used to the system 
Yeah, his movement is definitely better than, mm. than any other striker that was representing Sampdoria this season, which gives them at least a, a little bit more excitement. They can play the ball in certain positions where perhaps they didn't used to play it before. Um, a special shout out to me, an outstanding performer in this game was definitely Audero, stopping mm. Politano's penalty, something Mike Manian wasn't able to do earlier <laughs> on this season. And Napoli had 24 shots, eight of them on target. So Audero had to deal with all of those. He did have a fantastic performance over here. And again, man, if it weren't for the red card, maybe things would have been different. Yeah, totally, man. Um, a fantastic goalkeeper. I believe he's a Juve youth product. One of mm. the ones that um, had gone for an inflated price. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, no way, dude. <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the day, it was all Napoli. At 66% ball possession, 24 shots, as you mentioned, to Sampdoria's nine. Sampdoria had two shots on target compared to Napoli's eight. <laughs> Napoli passed them to death eventually after the red card. They had 608 passes, 91% successful passes out of the total. Uh, the best of the match day. Um, Mario Rui completed 87 passes alone, the most of match day 17. He had a fantastic game, Mario Rui. Madonna. Yeah. 87 passes for a left back is mad, man. Yeah, man. He's like man. Theo Hernandez level contribution. <laughs> <laughs> so many good left backs in the league, huh? Yeah. Very good left backs. And I feel like this is this often happens when um when you play a team when a big team plays against a, a team that gets a red card early on, mm. they just end up dominating all the statistics. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Another one, Napoli created 17 goal scoring chances, the second best of the match day, inferior to Torino's 19, by the oh, way. Wow. They had 24 attempts, the most of the match day. Napoli had the ball for 36 and a half minutes, the best position start of the match day. Sampdoria had the ball for 19 minutes, 35 press. Look, listen to this. Okay. So Sampdoria had the ball for 19 minutes, Napoli for 36. That leaves 35 minutes. Oh my God. 35 minutes of play halted. This is why the World Cup um, stoppage time system was introduced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I mean, that's the way it should be, no? Isn't it 90 minutes of play that they're after? No, ref says, okay, let me add 30 seconds whenever there's a substitution. No, let me add this amount of time every time a free kick is awarded. Should stop the clock yeah. and, the, and the clock continues. Or add 15 minutes at the end of the game. The game is there to be played over 90 minutes. We are lucky that it's not the stop clock system mm -hmm. where on 90 minutes a massive buzz goes around the stadium and it'll end up being like a basketball thing where everyone starts shooting from half pitch at that, <laughs> at that fucking point yeah but uh, 35 minutes wasted is it's not football it's not football yeah um it's interesting because this is the polar opposite of what Agnelli had said um Agnelli when he was you know he's a, he was on the board of the FIFA directors or something was mm. was yeah or or something. he's just um, a person whose opinion is extremely respected mm. or was extremely respected. <laughs> <laughs> he said that football's biggest rival right now mm. is not other sports. It's not the NBA. It's not the bloody Olympics. It's esports. Mm. It's League of Legends. It's Fortnite. Okay. Okay. Because nowadays the, the new generation coming up, I don't know if you're if you're listening, Chesco. Um, <laughs> they um, the attention span is obviously lower. 
a kid will find it difficult to sit through 90 minutes of football. Mm-hmm. What this does, it makes a football game longer, which for, for us is great. No? Yeah. It's more, it's better. Yeah. You know? The more football, the better. Exactly. But for these guys who can barely sit through 90 minutes of football, does it make sense to make it even longer? This, this is one of the things Florentino Perez and Danielli were after when it comes to the Super League. One thing they said mm-hmm. is make every game 60 minutes so that it gets more viewership. There we go. There we go. Because of the young generation, and do do I agree that the younger generation are are used to fueling their minds with this quick content on yeah. social media? Instant gratification. It's the cocaine of social media. You watch one, you just want another. You just want another. You just want another. Football is something to me. What what I enjoy about football is I like watching every single piece of movement that happens on the TV. If a if a player keeps the ball in in a nice way, if a if a player passes and goes in a nice manner, if a player tracked back properly, but people just want to see goals yeah. and they want to see you know an an hour is a good time for kids to watch football. But to me. This is the game that was created. It is 90 minutes. It's a chess game. It's 11 men against 11 men, two armies, um, over 90 minutes. And if it's 90 minutes, all I care is that the 90 minutes are played. Mm. It's open play and it's 90 minutes. Exactly. Um, these younglings can watch um, the extended highlights. You know, exactly. They're available. No exactly. Problem. There you go. Leave the football to us. Yeah. Politano had the most goal scoring chances of the match day and Sampdoria completed a grand total of one dribble the worst of the match day alongside Lecce, Spezia and Torino aka the nerds <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Napoli are currently in first with 44 points as they um, prepare to take on Juve who are in second with 37 points this Friday that's going to be a juicy affair very juicy while Sampdoria sit in 19th with 9 points the next game we're going to be covering is Monza 2, Inter 2. Before I get to the lineup, so I just want to provide a bit of an update and say that Inter have advanced in the Coppa Italia after beating Parma in extra time through an Acerbi header, making it 2-1. Parma were winning the game. It was a fantastic goal by Parma. Gigi Buffon had a fantastic performance as a 44-year-old starting at the San Siro. What a spectacle that game was. Another time Inter were struggling against the Serie <laughs> <laughs> um, Buffon turns 45 in two weeks' time. And that was his 50th appearance at San Siro. Amazing, wow. amazing to see. And he was really good. He had a fantastic save on Zerko. Well. He had a super save, man. He had a super save. But let's get into this. Hoy! What? Um, Milan's <laughs> Milan's starting lineup against Torino um, in the Coppa Italia tonight is out. I saw a rumor. It starts in an and hour. It, and it looked terrible. It looked like Milan aren't even trying. And I, and, and I think that Coppa Italia would be a good route for Milan this year. Yeah, I, I think it would be an option to win to win. But I, and I, I still think Milan obviously are planning on winning. But, but look at this lineup, bro. So it's a 3-5-2. Oh, Tatarzano in goal. Kalulu, Gabi, Tomori at the back. Not bad, not, t- not terrible. Salamakers on the right. I like it. Dest on the left. No. Pobega, Tonali, and Vranks in the middle. No! <laughs> no. Decatelare and Diaz up front as a striking partnership. Decatelare. And Diaz. And Diaz up front. Mm-hmm. Pass the lighter when you're done with it, please. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that goes um, against Torino. Um, Torino tend to take Milan to extra time when it comes to the Coppa. But yes, anyway. especially if you're starting that squad yeah. <laughs> against them. Tor- we're acting like Torino are a walk in the park or we're going to 
focus on Serie A or Champions League, but whatever, man. We'll see what happens. I mean, this should technically in paper be enough to take Milan over the line. Um, The problem is that... like for example, the KTLR is is flopping. You know, um, not flopping. He hasn't hit the ground running. Yeah, exactly. Just say exactly. That. You have Dest on the left who played. I saw him play once on the left and he didn't look good at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll see anyway. That that's a we'll different see. story. We'll keep you guys updated. Um, so Monza two, Inter two. For Monza, it was the three four two one formation. It was Di Gregorio on goal and the back three of Itzo, Mari, and Marlon. They had Augusto, Carlos Augusto, of course, out on the left. They had Berindelli out on the right with Machin and Pessina in the middle. They had Mota on the left, Churia on the right, and Petania up front. For Inter, it was a 3-5-2. Onana in goal with a backline of Skriniar, Acerbi, and Bastoni. Darmian on the right, Di Marco on the left, and a midfield three of Barella, Cialanoglu, and Mkhitaryan. Lautaro Martinez was up front alongside Zeko. Isn't it crazy how Pablo Mari got stabbed and still managed to make a return to the field faster than Mania? <laughs> Literally, mad. But after this performance, yeah. maybe he would have wished to take some more time to get over the trauma. <laughs> yeah. So in the 10th minute, Bastoni's cross into the far post was half volleyed into the near post by Darmian. That is, quite frankly, a classic Inter goal. If it's not DeMarco, it's Bastoni. If it's not them, it's Xalanoglu, so on and so forth. Just one minute later, however, there was a really clever ball by Pessina that put Churia in a good position to place the ball past Onana into the far corner on his favoured left foot. Just 11 minutes later, and then Lautaro stole the ball off of a slow Mari who controlled the ball in defense. And with Di Gregorio out of position, Lautaro had no problem converting. He gave the ball away in defense when his keeper was out of position. Yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely dreadful. A few moments later, well, not a few moments later, but throughout the game, DeMarco scraped the top crossbar. Lautaro hit the post with a stunning strike as well. But then in the 92nd minute, Monza were on the attack to find that equalizer. And the ball was initially headed by the former Inter player Calderola, but it took a significant deflection off of the shoulder of Dumfries and into the far corner. So it did end up going down as a Denzel Dumfries on goal in the 92nd minute. So... Very entertaining encounter. Inter looked good. Monza looked good. It resulted in a draw. Inter did look better than Monza, but mm-hmm. Monza did enough to get the draw. What did you make of it? I think Monza, Monza really played to Inter's level. Um, these things always happen when you play a lower a lower side in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Churia scored. That's his first ever goal in this area. Calderola got the winner. And, sorry, Lex. the equalizer. Ruola de Lex, he's a former Inter player. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things tend to happen. Um, I couldn't help but notice that Inter's build-up play was once again, once again, stalled by Lukaku's lack of sharpness. And now he's injured and he's going to be out for some time. Mm. Probably good again for some mental clarity. I'm starting to think this guy <laughs> needs a lot more time out to to get back to himself, man. Yeah, I, I would agree with you over there. I'm not sure if it's time out that he needs. Or time on the pitch, right? Or a boot camp. You know, when a couple of seasons ago when Milan were on a losing streak and when they couldn't win a single game, boot camp. Close all doors. Zero. Ah, exactly. But the team has to be in crisis. That's a punishment to the players, essentially, and it wouldn't be fair on his teammates. No, no but I'm I'm saying like, a, like a solo one, <laughs> solo hero for fucking yeah. Lukaku. Because quite frankly, I mean, look, he 
had a great season at Inter and he helped win them the league a couple of seasons ago under Conte. He was signed for 80 million by Chelsea. He went there and it was his lack of professionalism that lost him that job, essentially. He cried and cried, went back to winter, out of shape, and he's simply not performing. At this point, at the end of the season, if things keep on going the way they are, Inter aren't going to want Lukaku. Chelsea aren't going to want Lukaku. And did you see Gareth Bale retired at 33 recently because no one could afford him? And because he was always injured, same thing can happen to Lukaku. Um, it could, it could. Um, I still see a future for Lukaku. I think he'll recover. I think he'll be back. Maybe not with Inter, maybe not with Chelsea, but somewhere where a new environment where he feels the support of the fans, where he has less pressure on him, maybe. That could be that yeah. could be better for him. It's also probably a, a bad mental space he's in after his shocking World Cup mm-hmm. performance, mm-hmm. rushed back from injury. Now he has another injury. You know, the mm. I, I just I just hope the guy is dealing with that in the most efficient way possible, speaking to his teammates, finding his form, and hopefully we'll see him getting goals in the near future. So Monza drew two two to winter. Yeah. Do you think they got their bus full of whores or do they have to beat them? Um did they get their bus full of whores? Because Ber- Berlusconi, for those who don't know, actually said to the team, like, if you bring a beautiful victory against one of the top teams, he mentioned Juve and Milan specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get you a Pullman di Troia, which means a bus full of whores, literally. Exactly. Excuse the language over here, ladies yeah. and gents. But I, I think so, especially with the goal being in the last minute. He would have been hyped, Berlusconi, man. He would have yeah. been on the phone straight after. No? Galliani, <laughs> Galliani lost his shit at that, <laughs> that Calderola goal. Man. One day, bro. I remember 10 years ago, Galliani looking this old screaming when Milan score in the last minute and me thinking he's going to drop dead. Like, yeah. I'm really scared one day he's going to get up and just collapse like from celebrating a bit yeah. too hard. He's like our, our great-grandmother, Galliani. He was, he was <laughs> old when we were young and he is old when we're adults. Like, you know, it's, it's crazy. I wonder, I wonder what he looked like as a young chap. I wonder he, had, he, he had hair, yeah. No way. <laughs> Monza had 55% ball possession. They had 13 shots, four of them on target. Inter had 11 shots, three of them on target. So you can see the stats were quite quite even over here. Monza mm-hmm. aging it slightly. Um, this was a high-intensity game contrary to the Milan-Roma game. Only Lazio covered more ground than Inter this match day, and Monza were a close third. It was fast-paced. Mm-hmm. Um, Pessina is the player who covered the most ground this match day. And um, Lautaro Martinez was one of the four players to complete three dribbles, the best of match day 17. He's alongside El Sharawi, as we mentioned. There was yeah. also Danny Mota who completed the dribbles for, for Monza. Monza had six successful dribbles and it's the second best of the match day behind Fiorentina. Yeah, I would say that, you know, I don't think Inter had a bad performance. I think there were bad aspects to their game that slowed down their play. For example, Lukaku, as you mentioned, um, I think Monza showed a lot of heart and a lot of spirit, and that's why they were able to get back into the match. I do, however, still believe that this is a very disappointing result for Inter, um, especially after a big win last week where they handed league leaders Napoli their first loss of the season. That was a huge result for Inter. And then in their next match, they drop points against Monza, and now they only just scrape past Parma. So maybe the issues are still there. Um, they're certainly capable of good performances, but they're also certainly capable of very weak performances. Yes, sir. Inter currently sit in fourth with 34 points, while Monza sit in 15th with 18 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Lazio 2, Empoli 2, another lost second winner. 
Um, Lazio lined up with the usual 4-3-3 formation with Provedel in goal, Marisic, Romagnoli, Trasale and Lazzari at the back, Luis Alberto Cataldi, Milinkovic, Savic in the middle, Zaccani on the left, Anderson on the right and Immobile up front. Empoli lined up with their 4-3-2-1 formation, the Christmas tree formation. Um, Vicario was in goal, Stojanovic on the right, Parisi on the left with Luperto and Ismaili as a centre-back partnership. Um, Marin Grassi and Fazzini in the middle, Baldanzi and Caputo playing behind Satriano. Interesting to see Caputo on that role over there, Very. who had a pretty good game apart yeah. from a, one wasteful moment. Things got started nice and early for Lazio, who had a corner. Luis Alberto crossed it in as it was flicked on by Philip Anderson and Caputo. And passed Vicario. Um, it was technically an own goal by Caputo, but I believe it was given to Philip Anderson. I know for sure it was given to Philip Anderson because Luis Alberto got an assist for me on Fanta Calcio. <laughs> there, so there we go. go. Um, in the 54th minute, Mattia Zaccani found the back of the net after some, co- some confusion in the box. Um, Zaccani managed to chip the ball over Vicario, who was sliding out. Um, Zaccani scored with his new neck tattoo which I'm not a, I'm not a fan of not a way. massive fan of massive text tattoo on the back of necks or in cursive cursive text yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not a big fan yeah um, Savage hit the post from about 35 yards out what a strike that was monstrous Amazing. nice to see him getting his shit together after last week's mediocre performance yeah and then it was in the 83rd minute that Empoli started their come, comeback there was a good counter um, now this is what confuses me mm. Why are Lazio committing so many men forward when they're 2-0 up? I don't know. Like, the, Empoli had a numerical advantage on the counter. Um, Cambiaghi and Caputo both got in behind the defense. Cambiaghi provided a low cross and Caputo controlled it and finished it. Yeah, and it, it, suddenly it was, they're 2-1. It, it looked really raw and sloppy by Caputo, the control and the no. finish. But Cambiaghi got in behind the defense well. Um, it is shocking to me that Lazio were going forward. I think it comes down to a lack of respect for their opponents. Probably, yes. I think it's more like, hey, let's see if we can score, let's go. Yeah. Up, you know? <laughs> and then in the 92nd minute, eventually, Razva Marin smacked the ball into the top corner from outside the area after a clearance by Philip Anderson. Um, and the build-up play to this by Rami ended Pedro's career what by knocking the ball past him yeah. and uh, getting round him. Yeah, he was Ever. so flat-footed, Pedro, in that. Incredibly yeah. flat-footed. But by, by Rami does that sometimes. He turns into Zinedine Zidane. And that was one of those moments. The ball was crossed in, cleared poorly by Philip Anderson. Mm-hmm. And good finish at the end of it from outside the area by Marin. All of Lazio's hard work for nothing. For one point. You know, they covered the most distance this round. They were in top three for shots taken. They were in the top three for key passes played. Top three in ball possession. You know, Empoli, the only stat they had to their to their advantage this match, there was the dribbling stat. Mm. Uh, they were the best dribblers alongside Fiorentina. But they also had the fewest goal scoring chances with four of the match day. Yet they managed to score two of those chances. Lazio yeah. dominated the game at 54% ball possession and they had 18 shots, four of them on target. Empoli only had two shots on target and they were both good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that that pretty much sums up the game it brilliantly, yeah. to be honest, man. I really like this Empoli team. I really think they have a certain flair to them. They have a really nice little unit over there. Um, Lazio, on the other hand, naive, you know, naive. As naive as Milan this match day. No, I, I, I would agree. And you look at the Lazio we're seeing just before the break. Now, okay, just before the break, they, they had a devastating defeat against Juve. But before that, we're talking about Lazio pushing, man pushing yeah. in that top four region. Um, but this is classic Lazio to be 
really brutally honest about them. They get going the same way they got going last year with with, with a number of four nils, the, the same number they had this season, um, and then they just uh, plateau. Like, plateau. And and I don't know if it's people figuring them out. I don't know if it's just a group of players or, or the owners or or whatever that are causing this to happen. But I would be livid with that mm. ending to the game if I was Maurizio Sarri, particularly with Empoli's first goal. Sarri has mentioned many things that hinder him from playing his optimal football. With Lazio, he mentioned the pitch not being the standard. He mentioned um, the players not mm. being the standard. So yeah, Lazio need to improve in some aspects over here. They currently sit in fifth with 31 points, while Empoli sit in 13th with 19 points. Before we move on to the next game, I just want to highlight Luis Alberto, because I think him again in the midfield, he showcased another great performance by him. He really adds a lot of fluidity to their midfield. And I think in certain games, he should start the game and then just be substituted out for maybe a more conservative player. And I think in certain games, he could be brought on to provide an additional attacking outlet. And now it's just down to if Luis Alberto accepts that being his role. Luis Alberto could slot into any of the top four teams in Italy. Agreed. And he'll probably start in an attacking midfield role at Milan yeah. pretty much <laughs> any day. That would be a clever signing. Definitely. The next game we're going to be covering is Bologna 1, Atalanta 2. So for Bologna, it was a 4-2-3-1 formation with Skorupski in goal. Likogiannis as a left-back and Posh as a right-back. Lukumi and Sao Mauro forming the formidable back two. Dominguez and Gary Medel in midfield with Soriano out on the left and Orsolini out on the right. Ferguson was in the attacking midfield role with Sansone up front. For Atalanta, it was a 3-4-1-2 formation. Musso on goal and the back line of Toloi, Palomino and Scalvini. They had Hatteberg out on the right and Ruggeri out on the left. Midfield three of Deron, Kukmeiners and Pasalic just ahead of them with Hoyland and Zapata up front. Now, things got going in the sixth minute. Orsolini cut in and curled the ball low and hard into the far corner. It was a brilliant goal by him. Um, I forget that Orsolini is a, is a player that's full of flair and yeah, when he yeah. gets going his turn of pace is fantastic and one movement and one shot it, it all took one second and it was in the back of the net it was a brilliant goal by Orsolini and it really got things going there for Bologna explosive he's exactly. an explosive player however and then in the 46th minute uh, pardon me it was in the 47th minute there was a bullet strike from around 30 yards out straight into the corner of the net by Tion Koopmeiners what a fucking goal by him. Our goal of the week. So we already described yeah. that uh, as as well as we can. Just a moment of magic by him. He has that so often. Jeremy Boga did lay the ball off to him. Mm. A couple of moments later, in the 58th minute, so just 11 minutes later, there was a great run and pass by Boga to Hoyland on the break, who dinked the ball over the oncoming Skorupski Hoyland with another goal. Boga with his second assist of the night. So Atalanta get away with three points against Bologna, who have been very good. Bologna recently, so a massive three points for Atalanta. What do you think? Totally. Um, Bologna scored early, but they couldn't keep up with Atalanta's um, intensity. You know, As we mentioned last week, they, they crowd the box so well, Atalanta. They push so many players out. They have Hatteber and um, Ruggeri out wide who cross the ball in relentlessly. Um, mm. I believe it was uh, Coop Miners and Ruggeri whipped in three crosses each, which is the second most of the match day behind Kostic who whipped in four. Um, but that's yeah, six crosses from two players. Amazing for, 
for Atalanta. Um, yeah. Hoyland is like Holland from Wish, you know. So Hoyland, <laughs> Hoyland. <laughs> He's a, a bright player, a very sharp. I'm, I'm a big fan of Hoyland. We'll see how he develops. Um, he's in good hands. Let's just say that yeah. Atalanta are no strangers to developing beasts. Exactly, especially up front, man. And it seems like with every game, he's getting slightly better. Yeah, it's yeah. like a consistent slow rise for him. I have to say I was a big fan of the substitutions that were carried out, pardon me, um, by Gasperini in this match day. Bogar really turned things around when coming on for Mario Pasalic. Um, he had some great moments. He was straying out left quite a lot and that's where he is so dangerous. We know how Bologna's defense could be at times and he was just attacking them and attacking them and attacking them and that led to him getting two assists. Okay, one was a layoff to Coop Miners, but the second one was absolutely brilliant by him. So maybe this is something we could start seeing more of by Jeremy Boga. He looked really comfortable this game. He was the only player to get two assists this match day. Very good performance by him, of course. Yeah. Um, I also want to highlight the performance of Gary Medel, who recovered 14 balls. I wonder if one of them was Francesco Acerbi's. No. <laughs> oh my God. No way. <laughs> no way did you just say that. That's so bad, bro. That's so bad. Acerbi scored an amazing goal against Parma to win them. <laughs> the game against them there in the Coppa. No, it was... Amazing, yes. Um, Gary Medel had a very good performance. Um, he's kind of similar to Thomas Rincon in the fact that he's a, an, an experienced veteran player yeah. who is a bit hot-headed. But when he keeps it cool, Medel is a massive asset to mm. Bologna. I think we've seen a lot of that hot-headedness kind of drift away from Medel when he realized his role at the club. He's such a leader mm-hmm. in that camp that, that, sure, he'll get yellow cards here and there. He's no stranger to yellow and red cards. But his leadership qualities as well, in particular this season and last season, have been brilliant. He's been played centre-back, mm-hmm. he's been played in defensive midfield. And I have to say, I missed him a lot in midfield. He's so good over there, man. He had so much stability. And it does as well allow Dominguez to be a bit more creative and going forward. Ferguson also comes back quite a bit to partner Medel when that happens. Bologna have a very nicely balanced team over here. I think that Motta did exactly what he had to do to put this team together. They were simply beaten by, on the night, a a better team Mm -hmm. in Atalanta who were just attacking after minute six, really. Do you think the results would have been different had um, Arnautovic not been injured? Um, It's difficult to say. Um, I don't think it would have been much different. I I think definitely the team would have been more fired up to, you know, get get a game to get get a goal to kill the game rather than just score one and and settle to the defensive area. But that's the thing. I don't think it was their choice to settle on defense. I think they got outrun by Atalanta. I think they got outpowered by Atalanta. We did see a bit of what we were used to seeing more out of Atalanta, especially in the second half of Mm -hmm. the match. And I think a lot of that had to do with Jeremy Boga giving them that outlet and running forward the same way Gossens used to, the same way Papu Gomez used to. Um, And then with someone like Hoyland up front to finish the chances. I have to say, once again, Duvan Zapata wasn't great (laughs) and and he did end up getting replaced by uh, Ederson. Who as well, I haven't really seen Edison perform. Edison too hasn't well, hit the ground running, but he plays Salernitana next, and that was his uh, ex team, so he'll probably score. Yeah, yeah. Um, Palomino, by the way, bro, 
again, another monstrous performance. I'm really happy he's back. I really like him. Yeah, man, to think he's only playing at this level because he was handpicked by Papu Gomez. That's crazy, man. That is. is crazy. Yeah. And it's such a shame that there were certain allegations against him that kept him out of the game for so long because he comes back in and he's miles ahead of the other centre-backs at Atalanta. Clearly their best defender and one of their best players this season. Atalanta sit in sixth on 31 points. They're actually level on with Lazio, who are in fifth, and level with Roma, who are in seventh. On the other hand, Bologna are in 12th place on 19 points, who are also level with Lecce, who are 11th, and Empoli, who are 13th. The next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina 2, Sassuolo 1. Fiorentina played the 4-2-3-1 formation with Terracciano in goal. Biragi as the left-back, Venuti as the right-back with Milinkovic and Igor as the centre-back partnership. Duncan and Bianco played in the middle with Kwame and Icone on the flanks, Bonaventura in the free roll in the middle with Cabral up front. Sassuolo played a 4-3-3 formation with Consigli in goal, Tolian and Rogerio as the full-backs, um, Ferrari and Juan as the centre-back pairing. Frattesi, Obiang and Traore played in the middle with Berardi on the right, Lauriente on the left and Pinamonti up front. It took late for this to get started. The first half was um, pretty uneventful. No goals over there. But then in the 48th minute, just three minutes after coming on, Ricardo Saponara bounced a volley over Consigli after some confusion in the area. Um, confusion in the area meaning a frattesi, uh, sorry, a Ferrari mistake. Yeah, which is, yeah. It was it was given away by by Ferrari again. It's becoming too common again. <laughs> it's this happened. Theme. This happened the last match day as well, man. When will they do something about their defense? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I told Mintoff the second Saponara came on. I'm like, bro, he's scoring or assisting like this game. He's too smart for this shit defense. He's yeah. gonna fuck them up. And yeah. in fact, later on he had a brilliant ball to Gonzalez who mm. had an open header and he missed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, in the 57th minute, VAR caught a handball by Dodo and it was converted by Berardi, um, sending the goalkeeper the wrong way. One uh, of the another most penalty. reliable penalty kick takers in the league, Berardi. Yeah, an amazing player, Mr. Sassuolo. Yeah. In the 91st minute, um, there was a penalty given the other way. Ruan um, handled it this time, it was caught by VAR. Um, Nico Gonzalez stepped up, who was described by the manager Italiano to be mentally unavailable. Yeah. So he stepped up and he scored, which will do wonders for his confidence. He said Consigli the wrong way. Consigli has fallen injured, by the way. Oh, has he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, probably too much. Yeah, the shower, no? <laughs> yes, probably. That's probably it. Probably I, I liked seeing the way um, Fiorentina reacted to the penalty being awarded. Right away, handing it to Nico Gonzalez, who was brilliant from the spot. He had a good game as well after he came on. He was involved. And we always say that he is a player that is vital in the second half of the season. And this could be the start of that. His teammates handing him the penalty. Um, in the 91st minute, when the stakes are high, he keeps a cool head and he converts the confidence and the balls on this man to step up. And the manner in which he took the penalty as well, quite central, just relied on sending the keeper the wrong way, relied on his technique. Fantastic stuff by Nico Gonzalez. Hopefully, we'll get to see more of that throughout the entirety of the season now. For sure. I certainly hope so. He was a really good player on his day. Yeah. Um, Fiorentina dominated the possession 53%, although it didn't really feel like that. To be it honest. really didn't. Sassuolo, I think we're better in the first half, in my opinion. Yeah. Fiorentina had 15 shots, five of them on target. Sassuolo had 16 shots, four of them on target. Berardi had the most attempts of the match day with six. Uh, Mintov said last week that Berardi was shooting like he was a kid in the playground, just having yeah. it. And, and once again, <laughs> that proved to be the case. Fiorentina proved to be a less um, 
tactically oriented side, as we saw earlier at the start of the season. They're given more freedom. In fact, they're completing many dribbles mm-hmm. and they're up there in the statistics as well. Yeah. Um, no team covered less distance than Sassuolo this round, by the way. So they do seem uninspired right now. Something seems off with Sassuolo, man. Something does seem off with Sassuolo. Um, we always kind of look to choose one thing that that's not that good about Sassuolo this season. We've blamed their defense. We've said because they replaced so many players up top. We've said it's because Lopez is injured in the midfield. But that's I just a massive think, one. Uh, Lopez it, they, being injured, that's their metronome. These are all massive ones. They're, mm-hmm. they're all massive ones. Their defense is shit. They're losing their metronome in the midfield and he's been replaced by Obiang who... Although he has his own skill set, he doesn't add that fluidity that Sassuolo are, are known for. Um, Lauriente is great, Berardi is great, Pinamonti just still. He was more involved in this game, mm. but not exactly in a great way. He just wins penalties by shooting into hands. That's, <laughs> that's all he's doing lately. <laughs> Honestly, I want to see Alvarez. Mintoff's right. I, I want to see Alvarez. I do well. really and, want to see Alvarez. And he waits long. I have to bring him on. I don't know why he doesn't bring him on sooner, mm-hmm. especially with Pinamonti misfiring. Yeah. There, there's also the loss of Thor's vet mm-hmm. in midfield as well. That is massive for them. But again, man, again, a good team with a good manager adapts to these situations. I'm not going to compare them to Juve and Milan who've dealt with a plethora of injuries and we're still at the top of their game of course I'm not going to compare them to those to those teams but Sassuolo haven't gotten a well-earned three points and haven't outplayed a team in such a long time and I'm just starting to think that this isn't exactly a great squad man that's what it comes down to at the end of the day and they're going to keep losing players if they keep removing players themselves and if they keep performing the way they are Berardi would be the next one out and well Fratesi is the next one out actually our resident Sassuolo fan, Mintoff, highlighted in the last episode, he said that um, Sassuolo are a team that's run almost as a business. Their stadium is far from the city. Yeah. They um, have no fans virtually. You know, yeah. you look you look at their, their stadium, it's always full of opposition fans, totally dominated, no matter who they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthias asked us a question. Uh, he said, if Sassuolo were to sack Dionisi, mm. who should they get instead? And there are quite a few free agents right now, managers. There are quite a few, but probably a lot of them are too big yes. for Sassuolo, so to say. I think... Yeah, there are the, like Tuchel's, the Zidane's, they're not going to yeah. go there. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Um, I think that they, they do need a slightly more traditional coach that would really focus on solidifying the formation, solidifying the identity, solidifying the shape and prioritize that rather than the fluidity that they're so, you know, known So you think for. they should shift to a pr- pragmatic approach, like? I, I think they should. I think that's the only way they'll concede lesser goals than they're already conceding, and, and that will already put, put them in the right position. I think their players are creative. I don't think they need someone like Ranieri, who is the first person that mm, came to in mind. In fact, I think Ranieri would be my shot. He, he would really encourage that fluid play that Sassuolo are mm. so well known for. But I think that still leaves the the terrible defense that is over there. I don't mm. think he encourages a, a back four that is so solid. It would be interesting to see, but I think that still struggle defensively in that case. Di Francesco could, I think, do a good job there. I mean, he's already taken this team to Europa League. You know, he yes. got them promoted all the way from Serie A, I believe. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
you know, took them all the way to the Europa League. Like, why not? He's in his comfort zone. He flopped afterwards. He had a good run with Roma in the Champions League. Definitely. But eventually had a bad run of form. Even with Cagliari, Cagliari when he joined Cagliari, it yeah. was terrible. He was sacked early on. So I think maybe a return and to Verona Sassuolo. As well. Yeah. A return to Sassuolo for him might um, rejuvenate his career as well as Sassuolo as a club. Another interesting idea, bro, is I don't know about the wages, and I don't know how possible this is, but Bielsa. Ooh, Bielsa would be an interesting one. I think it'd bring more of, of um, again, it's it's the same thing as as um, the Tinker Man. Yeah, he's going to encourage that to play. But actually, Bielsa Bielsa is very solid defensively as yes, well. Yes, yes. He 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 would encourage players sliding into tackles, keeping their shape, and staying in that like with Leeds. We saw Leeds that they were a unit. They were hard to penetrate when he was there, especially in the Championship. In the Premier League, it was a it was a different story. That would be a good shout. Yeah, a very I, good I shout. would love to see it. I just wonder if it's doable for Sassuolo, if it's too much, you know. Because he has, he has clout as a manager. It's like tough. That. Sassuolo can only attract people who want to move to Italy, young young managers that th- this would be the highlight of their career, essentially. So people that are smaller than Sassuolo um, or as Serie A resident managers that see the true value of Sassuolo because otherwise this is not a franchise team that people aspire to manage. It it would have to be a project that, I don't know, fucking, what's his name? The manager of Malta. (laughs) He was the manager of Malta. (laughs) Devis Manja. Devis Manja will be the next manager of Sassuolo. Who do you think he'd pick on? He would pick on I think Berardi Berardi you think I think it'd pick on Berardi Uh just so you guys know there were strong allegations about him making um, sexual passes at um, Maltese players telling them like if you fucking I don't know Show me your ass, you can play tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know, trying to keep it PG-13. Yeah, that's a really good approach. <laughs> show me your ass. Show me your ass. <laughs> you start striker tomorrow if yeah. you show me your ass. No, I think Pinamonte would be fucked, bro. No, Pinamonte yeah. would be fucked as well. <laughs> Pinamonte would be fucked. Yes. Um, there was another point I wanted to make. <laughs> what the fuck side was it? <laughs> bro, no. <laughs> um, about the manager. Um, yes, um, Iacchini is uh, one of those managers that you mentioned. One of the there, there's Ballardini and Iacchini. They're okay. like the relegation experts. So, yes. So if this goes tits up for Sassuolo, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys came in as a caretaker. There's also San Paoli who's Ooh. available. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, I do think, however, that Dionisi should be given more time. He should be given more time because nothing is favoring him. And yeah. even though nothing is favoring him, they're still playing that fluid and dynamic football. Um, however, he needs to control that four at the back, man. He I does mean, really need there to aren't many them. options for him. Yeah, and, and maybe there's not much funding to go into um, uh, signing players. Well, not enough funding. They're signing, they're, they're selling players left, right and centre. They must have yeah. funding to... They, they just need to be a bit smarter in the market because they're so focused on replacing those big players up front that they're forgetting that the actual problem is the defensive region. Mm-hmm. They were smart with the way that they replaced those players. You know, they got um, Lauriente, they got Torsvet. Um, however, Pinamonti, maybe in hindsight, well, he was... It's a shock that Pinamonti isn't performing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they should give more time to Alvarez and that'll prove to be a smart signing from their end as well. Perhaps. Sassuolo currently sit in 16th with 16 points. 
Wow. While Fiorentina sit in ninth with 23 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Salernitana 1, Torino 1. So Salernitana starting their 3-1-4-2 formation with Ochoa and goal, a backline of Fazio, Danilo Lich and Bron. Bohinen was in the register role with Bradaric out on the left and Kandreva on the right. It was Vilena, sorry, Vilena and Caviglia in the midfield with Dia and Bonazzoli up front. That is scary, man, Dia and Bonazzoli yeah. up front. For Torino, they lined up in their 3-4-2-1 formation with Milinkovic-Savic in goal and the backline of Zima, Shores and Bongiorno. They had Lazaro out on the right and Voivoda out on the left. They had Linetti and Lukic in midfield with Vlasic out on the right and Radonic out on the left and Sanabria up front. So things kicked off in the 36th minute where Sanabria scored a flying header after a great Lazaro cross. Shortly after, Shores hit the post with a header. It looked like he was going to make it 2-0 over there. Shortly after the restart, then in the 49th minute, Vilena shot into the bottom near corner from outside of the area to finish off a beautiful Salernitana counter-attack for the rest of the game. And then it was basically Torino piling men forward, trying to get three points out of this as they proved to be, um, well, they looked better than Salernitana in this game. Um, Ochoa just save after save, particularly his save in the 84th minute um, on Ricardo Rodriguez at the near post, pushing it onto the post. Some fantastic saves by Ochoa again, man. Yeah, and um, Torino totally dominated this game. That's 62% ball possession the most key passes of the match day, the most attempts of the match day. Um, the difference for Salernitana or their saving grace was Ochoa. Ochoa, yes. 100%. And it's Ochoa's world and we're just living in it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Where does he rank right now currently? From, we've, we've only seen two games of him, to be honest, mm. but he, he looks like mm. a top five goalkeeper in the Liga. At the moment, I mean, like you said, it's his first two yeah. games. Um, we've it, it's interesting because normally with with any other goalkeeper that I've watched play before, I can tell you like where I believe that they rank mm-hmm. just from their qualities. But when we only watch this guy a couple of times every four years with Mexico in the World, in Cup. The, uh, World Cup, then it's I can't believe I forgot the world world the word World Cup over there. You, know, you see words. him a couple of whatever. That. <laughs> but you see him a couple of times every four years at the World Cup. You can't really gauge how if he's actually good or if he has more. Like, yeah. Exactly. Right now he looks like a good goalkeeper. He, the way he was super. coming out and and blocking shots, making himself mm. big. Um interesting one, man. He's definitely the keeper that is on hottest form right now. After the World Cup break. And he's replacing Luigi Seppa, who's a fantastic goalkeeper himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a great move for Ochoa. You know, he's playing in Serie A. He's living in Salerno, Salerno, one of the most beautiful places in Italy. It's a good place to retire for him. So, um, you know, life is good for Ochoa at the moment. 100%, man. Again, I can't stress on how much better Torino looked in this game. Again, it does go down to maybe the finishing touch. Okay, this time it was Ochoa that kind of moved the focus onto him rather than the striker situation for Torino. I have to say Sanabria scored a true striker's goal with that Mm -hmm. flying header in this game. However, they're still lacking that target man. Someone that can play with his back towards goal and his facing goal as well inside that area. Someone lethal, someone that can finish off a chance pretty much. And just a focal point, having that focal point up front, man. In fact, you look at the stats, Torino should be winning this. 
Oh, it doesn't make sense to create this much, to press this much and to not win. And that's what they're m- missing, a target yeah. man, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll see if that problem will ever be sorted. Yeah. Um, Ochoa, seven saves, as we said, man. That's uh, another seven saves. That's 14 saves in two games, by the Madonna. way. Massive. Madonna. Vlasic had the most key passes and the most goal-scoring chances of the match. They were a very, very good player over there. Um, Torino, again, just superlatives all around. Yeah, superlatives all around, except for the striking department, no? That's it, exactly. So not technically all around. Exactly. Salernitana did what we have described as what good teams do. It's be the shitter team and still get away with something. Torino are intent on 23 points, level on points with Fiorentina, while Salernitana sit in 14th on 18 points, level with Monza. Monday night madness. Verona. The way you move. Yes, sir. Verona 2, Cremonese nil. Verona lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation. Montepo was in goal. Ceccherini was at the back with Hien and Davidovic. Doig was on the left. De Paoli on the right with Tameze and Illich as the midfield duo. Lazovic and Calon played behind Juric. For Cremonese, it was a 4-2-3-1 formation with Carnesecchi in goal, Ser Nicola on the right, La Cosvili on the left, Bianchetti and Ferrari as a centre-back pairing. I hate reading Cremonese's lineup. La, La Cosvili, I, like, I, even if you told me a hundred times, I won't pronounce his name correctly. La Cosvili Cantare! <laughs> Castagnetti was in the middle alongside Piquel. With Zanemakia on the right, Valerio on the left, Bonaiuto as the attacking midfielder, and Dessers up front. Thank God that is over. <laughs> now, it all kicked off in the ninth minute when Lazovic scored a striker's goal. He took a hard ball down, brilliantly turned and nailed the ball in from close range. It was a Yaya Kalon assist. Yeah, it, he, looked like, he looked like fucking Dennis Bergkamp over there, man. Literally. It was brilliant by Darko Lazovic. Verona didn't leave it till very long to get another one. In the 26th minute, there was a brilliant run by Doig, who played a brilliant pass. He's a, <laughs> such a good player, Doig. He's like um, the Aaron Hickey region, no? yeah. the next big Scottish youngster. Uh-huh. Uh, also plays fullback. It's, it's uncanny. Yeah. Um, so Doig unleashed Lazovic, who finished very cleanly into the bottom corner. Lazovic playing closer to goal is really paying off for them. These two early goals were enough for Verona to kill the game off. Um, Cremonese didn't really get into it at all. um, And it was a very professionally done job by Verona, maintaining a 2-0 lead. We saw how... They say that 2-0 lead is the the most dangerous lead to have in football. Yeah, I mean, we saw that twice. Exactly. Lazio and Milan. They couldn't do what Verona did. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And... Milan drew nil-nil to Cremonese. So many teams have struggled against Cremonese. Mm-hmm. Verona come out and beat them 2-0. They mm-hmm. had nine shots for on target, of course. Two of them were the Darko Lazovic goals, which are absolutely sensational. It was a very quick and lethal start by Verona, something they were notorious for last season. And they showed it again in this, in this game. Um, Cremonese grew into the game throughout the game. Yeah. Um, they had 14 shots. Five of them on target, five off target, and four blocked. So once again, Cremonese, you definitely can't say that they don't try, huh? No, certainly not. But the thing is, Verona scored too early and just let them play. 
They yeah. let Cremonese play and they just sat back, you know. So obviously the stats are going to be in Cremonese's favor in possession stats, 53%. But in reality, Verona allowed that to happen. It was a tactical choice, you know. Yeah. They didn't do the amateur thing that Lazio did and committed too many men forward, for uh-huh. example, on a on mm-hmm. a corner. You know, they actually stayed back. Yeah, I still don't think, as as much as I agree with you, I still don't think it's a choice to let a team have 14 shots and five on target because five goals, five, five shots on target is very dangerous. So perhaps Verona still lack that intensity that they had for the past few seasons and they mm-hmm. still let teams play their game when they're trying to be a bit more controlling. They also only had 3.8k supporters in their stadium, which could have, you know, had a, played a role over there. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they lack intensity. They only have 3k support. That's it. That, this game was played for 3k people, isn't that mad? 3.8, at 3.8. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Hien had a pretty good game. He had 13 recoveries. Um, Verdi played pretty well this game, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by, by Verona and how they've managed to pick things up, especially Lazovic. Man, I did not think that he had these types of finishes in him, you know? I think he could finish the ball this well. Yeah, I think he was struggling to adapt to that new role in the attacking midfield area. Um, He was, however, this time utilized as, okay, an attacking midfielder, but more to the left-hand side as he had Callon on the right as well. So it was like he was a left forward, so to say. So that allowed him to be dangerous on the ball. And rather than taking too much of a creative role, it allows him to make runs in behind the defense, especially with a player like Juric up front who can play with his back towards goal and to drag a defender off with him and Lazovic gets in behind the spaces. I think this is a dangerous position for Lazovic to be in, particularly with Doig around his flank as well. Um, I think they could really turn things around and Lazovic came back from injury as well and he's looking brushed up. We hope he can keep that up. Me too, bro. Matthias, um, our resident fan, um, fan, I wouldn't call him a fan. As in, as he's our fucking brother, man. Yeah, he's he's the man, you know. Matthias yeah. is the fucking man. He sent us a text summarizing the first half of the Verona game. He watched it. He's the man who announced Illich watch. You know, he said yeah. Illich is back from injury. He's going to be instrumental for Verona. He said, I watched the first half of the Verona game up until the goals were scored. Illich was rather mediocre. The game was more of a midfield battle and I think Tameze did more noticeable things, as well as Doig and Lazovic who were decisive in both goals. Then Verona tried to control the pace and possession more and Illich was more involved up until Suleimana was brought on instead. Mm. Um, it's true, Illich did grow into the game and I think he will grow into the season as he has just come back and his performances will most likely pick up. I think he will be instrumental and I do like Tameze as a midfield partner. I think he's very good. Yeah, that's good balance having Tamez and Dilic. Both can offer a lot going forward and they're both very stable in the defensive areas as well. I think, yeah, Illich just needs more more minutes to get back on track, to get his fitness back. It's good that when they, like Matthias said, when they started controlling the tempo and the play a bit more, he saw much more of the ball over there, allowed him to play it around, just get a feel for it again. And yeah, I think it's still Illich watch for the rest of the season. Verona currently sit in 18th with 9 points, while Cremonese sit last in 20th with 7 points. 
The next and final game that we're going to be covering is the game that fucked our bet. Spezia nil, Lecce nil. So for Spezia, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Drangovski in goal and the back line of Nicolau, Kiwior and Amian. That's how they say it. They all say Drangovski, the commentator. I don't know where the N... uh, But I don't know where the N comes from because if there was an accent somewhere, I'll say, okay, if there's an accent on the G, it means the G is ng. But there's nothing. It's just Dragovsky. And, and for some reason, there's an N somewhere. Yeah, man. Polish names are a nightmare. Yeah. Sir Szczesny. That I get because it's like an S-Z-C-H-Z. Yeah, so it's like, like sure, just take your time to say that. So a back line of Nikolaou Kiwior and Amian for Spezia with Reka out on the left and home out on the right as the two wingbacks. Bastoni, Ampadu and Burabia in the midfield with Inzola and Giasi up front the same way it has been for all these years. Come to think of it, Piontek, there's an N there too. It's spelled Piatek, but it's pronounced Piontek. But there is an accent somewhere, I believe, in, in Piontek. I don't know, man. <laughs> I have Polish colleagues, I'll ask them. And if there are any Polish listeners, please educate us. We don't want to come off as dickheads like we're pronouncing everything wrong. So yeah. please do educate us. You've heard us pronounce Coop Minersh. No? Exactly. Yeah. And Deron. <laughs> Deron. For Lecce, it was their 4-3-3 formation with Falcone in goal, a backline of Jean-Dre, Bascherotto, Umtiti and Gallo. Was Gonzalez in midfield alongside Blin and Male, with Streffets out on the right, Di Francesco out on the left, and Lorenzo Colombo up front. This was a nil-nil. However, there were many chances for Lecce in particular, who managed to hit the post twice through Gonzalez and Blin. Otherwise, I don't think either team did enough to win the game I do think if I favoured anyone in this game it must have been Lecce but still not yeah. enough what do you think bro? Lecce had more chances or the better chances rather well more chances but four shots mm-hmm. on target um, and Spezia had more possession so it was a weird one you know once again it was an extremely rainy day it seemed like um, Enzola and Colombo weren't going to score from the yeah. from the get go the, the two posts it got so close man one, one of those goes in and we would have won our bet yeah. but fuck it we moved there's nothing Ooh. to do. This is a biscotto, as they say, shared points for Spezia and Lecce, one point each. They live to fight another day. Yes, sir. I don't think there's much any of the teams could have done in this in this scenario. Sure, they were both, like me and Jake, were um, uh, debating in the beginning of the episode. On one hand, with the conditions of the game, with, with the opponents that each team had, you could take an approach whereby you want to get a singular point in this game. Um, there obviously is a large gap between the bottom three and then 17th. In fact, Spezia are in 17th, they're on 15, and then Verona 18th on nine points. So there's a healthy gap over there. So Spezia would have been happy to sit back. Let's and then are pushing mid-table, bro. They're in 11th. And had they won that game, they'd be one point behind Torino. It's all about intent. their defense, man. It's their all about defense their defense. So good. And again, they have, it's a similar kind of vibe to Juve, where they have a lit defense. Yes, you know, Baskerot and Umtiti are amazing. Mm-hmm. Jean-Dre and Gallo out wide are amazing too. Um, then they have Streffetza, Banda, Colombo, and Di Francesco, who are all capable of these random moments, you know? Yeah. Similarly to what we said about Juve. They're like a mini budget Juve. Um, yeah. Also, I, I like Male and the way he's playing on loan from Fiorentina. Mm-hmm. Um, he's cut his hair and it's a new start for him. New year, new Male. Yeah, I, I, I find Male to be so clumsy. Um, there's no denying that he's a good footballer, but I, I've 
never seen him perform myself. Every time I've seen Malia on the pitch, I always said kind of, okay, these guys are right at best, you know what I mean? But at Lecce, we're seeing a bit of a different side to him. He's mm-hmm. um, more involved, definitely. Exactly. More of an opportunity. Exactly. Back at Fiorentina, he had he had way too many competitors alongside him. But Lecce played well, man. Lecce played very well, to be quite frank. They hit the post twice. They looked very positive. Um, and yeah, I think I think out of the ooh, who wins in a match between Lecce and Monza tomorrow, like um, if Lecce had to play Monza tomorrow, it would be. What would you bet on that rather than what oh, would happen? Fuck, man, what would I, you I, bet, I on bet on that? Bet on that. Bet. Who's home? Um, let's share home. Hmm. I'd, I'd see the odds of a lecture or a draw, to be honest. Mm. But I, but I think that would be a draw, to be honest. Uh, a similar result. These these bottom teams when they come up, mm. these lower lowly teams, they, uh-huh. they tend to draw. Yeah, and uh, it's always interesting seeing two Serie B teams in inverted commas in Serie A because they know each other mm. so well and they battled each other for so many times in Serie B. So who knows what would happen over there. Let's just give you a quick rundown of what's to come. On Friday, we have Napoli against Juventus. That's the massive game of the weekend. Then we have Lecce against Milan, Sassuolo against Lazio, Udinese against Bologna, Roma against Fiorentina, Cremonese against Monza, Inter Verona, Torino Spezia, Atalanta Salernitana, and Empoli Sampdoria. Stretching on from Friday to Monday. I can't believe the Friday game, though. I can't believe it's on Friday. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do I think of... Uh, Napoli-Juve. Who's, who's Napoli-Juve. Honestly, either 1-1. Mm-hmm. I'll go straight for a draw. That's an interesting so bet. So they'll concede their first goal, Juve, in eight games. If they do, it's against Napoli. Yeah. Um, I have noticed Guevara being more contained. He was contained mm-hmm. against Inter. Mm-hmm. He was contained against Sampdoria. Will he have more freedom with Juve's wing-backs? Depends who plays on the right-hand side over there. Yeah. It would be interesting to see that direct. Um, do Napoli get their second one the loss of the season? It could be, man. I don't know. It's one of the best attacks in the league against the best defence yeah. in the league. So. No matter what happens, Milan need to beat Lecce and Milan need to gain ground on, either go second or, or just gain mm-hmm. ground on, on Napoli. While Inter play a bogey team as well in Verona. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Interesting match day to come, guys. Stay tuned and send us your thoughts. Yep. Love you all, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Another short one, obviously, with the tight schedule, but we hope you enjoy it. We hope we gave you enough info. Do send us your feedback. Follow us everywhere. Rate us everywhere. And take care. At Serie A Spotlight.